ever showed me about this. And I laugh because everything I teach is one of the most important things that God has ever shown me. <laughs> but you know what? That's all I do is teach the real fundamental things. I only teach the real basics. I don't go into anything strange. This is one of the most important things. God used these verses to change my life. I had an encounter with the Lord March the 23rd, 1968. And in April of 68, 42 years ago, God gave me these verses, gave me one of the most important things I've ever learned from the Lord. This is 42 years I've been walking in this. And this has become one of the most foundational truths that God has used in my life. And I have used this thousands of times. I'm still using it today. This is something that has become a major deal in my life. And let me just set this up by saying that I was 18 years old. I had this experience with the Lord where God just poured his love out in my life. And for four and a half months, I was gone someplace, caught up in the presence of God. I knew that God loved me. And I immediately lost my desire for anything except God and whatever God wanted me to do. This goes along with what I taught on Thursday night about delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And immediately my heart just began to desire God and desire the things of God. And I lost all interest in school. And I had a horse that I rode every day of my life. I'd been doing this for a couple of years. We bought this horse when I was in high school. And I rode that horse every day of my life. If it rained or snowed or whatever, that horse was just a focal point of my life. And it was four and a half months later before I even thought about that horse. I didn't know if that horse was alive, if anybody had taken care of it. I just forgot everything. I fell in love with God. And immediately my desires changed. I lost my desire for a secular education and becoming a math teacher like everybody else in my family. Everybody in my family except one uncle was a school teacher. And he was married to a school teacher. Everybody in my family has always been a school teacher. And I lost my desire for all of that. And so, uh, you know, I was just excited about the Lord. And I wasn't anticipating or thinking about what um, response I'd get from people. I thought everybody would be thrilled that I loved God. I was just shocked. I thought everybody would be just happy for me that I really had this encounter with the Lord. And to my surprise, man, I mean, they came out of the woodwork to criticize me and to tell me I was of the devil and all of these things. And so anyway, one of the very first things that happened was I just lost all of my desire to go to school. So I just in passing told my mother I was in college, first year of college. And I just told my mother, I said, you know what, I'm going to quit college. And boy, my mother just exploded. You can't do this. My mother sicked a number of Baptist pastors on me that started telling me that you're of the devil and this is the devil. And I mean, here I was, I was, I'd been born again since I was eight years old, but this was the first time I'd ever really begin to start seeking the Lord and having a lot of interaction with the Lord. And I was young at it. And here were these people that were professionals I mean, they'd been to seminary. They had been through all of this schooling. And they were telling me that I was of the devil. And at first, it just rocked me back on my heels and, I, and it took away my confidence. And one of my, my youth director, uh, he came to me and he says, your mother doesn't want you to do this. And so as long as you're living at home, you need to obey your mother. And you know what? I decided, well, that makes sense. And so I decided to put that on the shelf. And so for about two months... 
I continued to go to school, but I hated it. I mean, I hated it with the passion. I don't have the words to communicate to you how I hated going to school. And I know some of you think I'm making fun of this, but I'm serious. This was, I hated going to school. I didn't just not desire to go to school. I hated going to school. And prior to that time, I had loved going to school. And God just changed my heart. But I wasn't sure about things. And because my mother was upset over this and every spiritual person, there was only two people on the planet that I knew that didn't condemn me. And that was Joe Nay and Steve Mark, this good friend of mine. And they were the only people that didn't think I was crazy. Every other person on the planet thought I was crazy. And there was reasons for it because back during this time in 1968, I had a deferment from the draft if I stayed in school. So I was uh, deferred from the draft if I stayed in school. I was getting $350 a month from the government. My father's Social Security, he died when I was 12 years old. And if I stayed in school, I got $350 a month, which in 1968 was quite a bit of money. I was living at home. Everything was good. But if I quit school, I got drafted. I got sent to Vietnam. I lost this money. I could lose my life. And so there was just a lot of people telling me that this is crazy. And... uh, So because of that, I didn't do what I felt like doing, but man, I was miserable. On one hand, I was caught up in the presence of the Lord. It was wonderful. I was having a great time. But I mean, when I went to class, it was the pits. Of course, the truth is I honestly never made it to class. I would go to college every day, but I'd get there 10 minutes early and I'd start witnessing to somebody and telling them about Jesus. And then, you know, it'd go past the time I was supposed to go to class and I couldn't go to class and let this person die and go to hell. So I'd keep talking to them. And by the time I got through talking with them, I'd already missed 15 minutes of the class. And so I'd start talking to somebody else. And by the time the next bell rang, I was talking to somebody else. So I went to class every day and I think I might've made it into class two or three times. But uh, anyway, it was just terrible. I hated it. And I was just, uh, you know, going through the motions and doing something that I didn't feel like in my heart. And anyway, in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 23, let me just turn over and read this verse to you. What we would typically do, I would get together with these two friends of mine and we would sit around and study the word until two or three o'clock in the morning. And we would just talk about the Lord and pray. And anyway, we, we, we were just reading through scripture And even though I read the Bible a number of times when I was a kid, I hadn't read it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't alive to me, and it was like the Bible was brand new. And as we studied the Word, man, we would be reading things, and it had just come alive. And I read this verse that night. It was about the end of April, or could have been the first part of May, 1968. And it says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin." And the Lord spoke to me and said, you aren't in faith concerning school. You don't want to go. You don't think I want you to go. And yet you're staying there because of the criticism of other people. And so you aren't in faith. You're living in sin. Boy, I had never seen that before. That was a revelation to me that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The Lord told me, he says, you would be better to get into school 
and stay there believing that's my will or to get out of school and face whatever consequences believing that's my will. But for you to be doing something that you don't have confidence in, that it's God's will, you're in sin. And man, that really shook me. And I remember we would stay up until 2 or 3 o'clock every night visiting and fellowshipping. It was about 8 o'clock or maybe 9 o'clock at night. And I told my friends, I said, I'm going home. I said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to make a decision. And I am not going to be living in sin tomorrow. I'm going to do something in faith. I'm going to get in or out of school in faith. I don't care if it hair lips the devil. I am going to do, I'm going to make a decision and commit myself one way or the other. So I went home that evening and I started praying and I said, Father, I'm in, I'm in, I'm not in faith. I'm in sin. I don't want to go to school. I don't think this is your will, but everybody else says that I'm missing you and that this is sin and everything else. And so what do I do? And so I determined that before I went to bed that night, I was going to have a word from God and make a decision on which direction my life should go. And I didn't know how to do it. I just knew that I had to make it. And I prayed and I sought the Lord and I was asking God and the Lord led me over here to Colossians chapter 3. And as I was studying the word that night and praying and asking God for a direction, it says in verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you were called in one body and be ye thankful. And when I read that, it's just like this verse jumped off the page. God spoke it to me. And he, and he said, you let the peace of God rule. I went and looked up the word rule in the Greek, what it means. And it means to govern, to arbitrate. And as you trace that word, the root word that was used, that was translated rule right here is the exact same word we get the word umpire from. As a matter of fact, the... Uh, Amplified Bible and, and the Weiss translation translate this. You know, let the word of God umpire in your life. And when I saw that, that really gave some direction to me. Because just, you know, like in baseball, you throw the ball and that umpire at home plate, he doesn't just sit there and look at it and think about it and say, I'm not sure what that was. Do over or let's not count this one. You know, that's not the way that an umpire does. An umpire, it just, you just have to make a decision. And once you say that it's a ball or it's a strike or however you call it, you have to stick with it. And it doesn't matter if you were wrong. You just make a decision. You let the peace of God umpire, rule, govern, arbitrate in your life. And the Lord spoke to me and says, this is how you can tell what my will for your life is is what do you have the most peace about? And to be honest with you, when I was trying to make this decision about getting in or out of school, I didn't have total peace about either decision. Because if I stayed in school, I had zero peace about that. I hated school. Had I said that before, that I hated (laughs) school. I hated going to school. I had zero peace about going to school. But when I considered getting out of school and see, this is how you kind of make your decisions. You consider your options and then you let your imagination think about what's going to happen if I do this. Where is this going to lead me? And as I thought about it, there was a very good chance that I'd get drafted. I'd get sent to Vietnam, which I wasn't excited about going to Vietnam. I didn't sign up. I didn't volunteer. 
Amen. I got drafted. I wasn't going to jump ship and go to Canada and, you know, do that. But I wasn't all gung-ho about going to Vietnam. And I, so anyway, I didn't particularly want to go to Vietnam. But every time I thought about quitting school and getting drafted and going to Vietnam, losing the government support, losing the approval of my mother, who my dad died when I was 12 years old, and my mother and I were really close. And man, I didn't want to disappoint my mother. I didn't. Every person I knew, every spiritual person in my life told me that that was the devil. That I was missing God. I mean, I went and talked to old uh, teachers. I went and talked to pastors. I went and talked to youth leaders. I went and talked to people who were spiritual people in my church that I thought of. And without exception, every person told me I was missing God. And so when I sat down and thought about quitting school, I thought about the rejection of people, the criticism of people, getting drafted, losing money. There was just a lot of things and I didn't have peace that direction. And so I honestly didn't have total peace in any direction. And I was trying to let the peace of God rule in my heart. And I didn't know this at this time, but you know, the scripture says in Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Every one of us in your spirit have peace, love, joy, and peace. It's always there. It's always there. You don't always feel peace, but it's because you aren't always in the spirit. We get caught up in our emotions and we get caught up in our mind and thinking. But if you can quiet yourself, your spirit always, always has love, joy, peace. And all you've got to do is get to where you shut off all of the things that dominate us from the outside and focus until you get in the spirit. And then you follow the peace that's in your spirit. It's always there. Sometimes you feel like God isn't speaking to you, but the truth is He's always speaking to you. But He may not be speaking in words. He may just be giving you impressions. He may be giving you a sense of peace or a sense of dread. You know, the flip side of this is that since I've learned this principle, I let the peace of God rule in my heart. And if I don't feel peace about doing something, I don't do it. For instance, I was moving my mother from Texas to... Colorado to go to work for me and I was driving a uh, U-Haul truck and I was slated to go back to Costa Rica. I had been there before and ministered in a Bible school and we had a tremendous response and man, it was so good. They invited me back. So I already had it scheduled. I already had my plane tickets bought. I was on my way to Costa Rica and as I drove her U-Haul truck up to Colorado, I was praying about going to Costa Rica and all of a sudden, I lost my desire to go. It had been fun before. We took our kids with us. It was great. We saw great things happen. And I was excited about going back. But as I prayed about it, I lost my desire to go back to Costa Rica. My desires just changed like that. And so, like I was teaching on Thursday night, you got to make sure you're delighting yourself in the Lord and that it's not just your, your mind is off of the Lord and you're listening to the wrong source or something. So what I did during 17 hours driving that truck, I prayed in tongues for 17 hours. And I just worshiped the Lord and praised God. And the more into the presence of God, the more I got my mind stayed on God, the less I wanted to go to Costa Rica. And so I was just convinced after a while that, I delight myself in the Lord and all of a sudden I didn't want to go to Costa Rica. 
I used this scripture. I let the peace of God rule in my heart. I had zero peace about going to Costa Rica. So I called them up and canceled my meeting just a week or two out or a month. I'm not sure, but it was a short period of time. And these people got upset and they said, we've already advertised it. We've got people coming. We've made plans. We've got you scheduled. You can't cancel. And I said, well, I'm canceling. And they said, why? And I said, I don't have a reason. I just don't want to go. I don't feel peace about going. And of course, that's not a very spiritual answer. And they took offense. And they got mad at me. And you know, they've never invited me back to Costa Rica. They've never had me back. Never been back. That was back about 1980, 81 or something like that. I've never been back to Costa Rica. But did you know what happened? I just canceled the flight that I was scheduled on when it took off from Mexico City, headed to Costa Rica. It crashed and killed 169 people on board. And you know how God spoke to me and told me not to go? I just lost my peace. He changed the desires of my heart and I decided not to go based on letting the peace of God rule in my heart. You know, one of the ways that I started learning this is when I was pastoring in Pritchett, Colorado, I came in there and we saw a man raised from the dead. And so because of that, this little church of 10 people wanted me to come. And anyway, I gave that testimony and... Um, So I went to Pritchett, Colorado, and I fell in love with the people, but not all of them fell in love with me. And man, I started getting lots of criticism. I started having a lot of opposition. People saying I was drinking, uh, committing adultery, uh, doing drugs, stealing money from the church. I didn't even take a salary from the church, but they accused me of anything and everything. And anyway, the church uh, blossomed from 10 people to 100 people in the church of a town of 144 people. And we were having a big impact and and it was making a difference. And so the few people who were in leadership in that church before I came, they said they were custom combiners and they left on the harvest and were gone for six months out of the year. And it was coming time that they were going to start following the wheat harvest. And they said, we need to uh, uh, have a new elder that will be here while you're here to help run the church with all of these new people come in. So anyway, I agreed, and they wanted to put this one guy into leadership. And this guy is the only person in the church who embraced Jamie and me when we came. Everybody else thought we were weird. These people thought we were great. We went over to their house. They were in their 60s at the time. We were probably 30. Everything looked good. They were excited about what we were teaching. There wasn't a single reason not to have him as an elder But in my heart, I did not feel peace. And I told those other guys, I said, no, I don't want him as an elder. I just don't feel good about it. And so they said, well, why not? Tell us what's wrong with him. And I said, I don't know anything wrong with him. They said, he loves your teaching. And I said, I know he does. He's he's heard all of this stuff. He supported you. And I said, I know everything's good, but I just don't feel good about it. And they shamed me into making him an elder. And I said, all right, all right. So anyway, we made him an elder. Did you know that they left on weed harvest? And within a week, this man turned into the devil personified. He started telling people I was a liar, a thief. He accused me of anything and everything. He tried to take over the church. And he was actually going to stand up one morning while I was preaching and stand up and kick me out of my own church. 
And anyway, I've got a tape entitled Respect of Persons that I preached when I saw him coming down the aisle heading, heading for the front. I've still got that tape. And I got up and preached on it and it, it uh, just backed him down. He sat down. But boy, we started butting heads and we had nothing but problems. It was terrible. And you know what? When that happened, I said, I knew in my heart that I shouldn't have put that guy in. I didn't feel peace about it, but I went with logic instead of what I felt in my heart. And when that happened, I decided, bless God, I'm not doing this again. And to the best of my ability, I haven't done it. I'm sure I've missed it, but I'm saying to to my best of my ability, I have let the peace of God rule in my heart. And it was not long after that, maybe a year or two is when the Lord, I felt this lack of peace about going to Costa Rica. And I had learned a lesson and I said, praise God, I'm not violating this peace. And it saved my life. Every person on that plane crashed and burned. So see, that's the flip side of it. If you don't feel peace, don't do it. The Holy Spirit constantly is bearing witness in your heart. And it's not always with words. Sometimes it's just that you feel peace about doing something. Other times you don't feel peace about doing something. And most of us will not let our heart rule us. We have gotten to where basically our society thinks that this is silly. This is superstitious. Going on an intuition, on a feeling. And of course there are abuses of this. You can be superstitious. And I'm I'm saying there's a balance to it. But... Our society, we become so sophisticated that we just go by logic and, you know, how dare you sit there and say that you've got a bunion on your toe that doesn't, you know, and this is what you're basing your feelings on is, uh, you know, my bunion's hurting, so this must not be God. This is not what I'm talking about, but I am saying that in your heart, you can feel peace about something. And to me, this is one of the greatest ways of discerning God's leadership. This is very closely related to what I was talking about. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put a desire in your heart and then you can sit down and you evaluate. Do I feel peace about this? Is this is something that excites me and blesses me? So anyway, this is what I came up to in Colossians 3.15. And I was trying to say, Father, how do I let the peace of God rule in my heart? Because if I make this decision to stay in school, I have zero peace about that. But if I make the decision to quit school, I don't have peace about that either. Because, man, I don't want to go to Vietnam and get killed. Amen. I don't want to lose this money. I don't want to lose the respect and the friendship of everybody. And so I was kind of at a stalemate, but I'd already said, I'm not going to be in sin tomorrow. I'm going to make a decision today. And so I was forcing myself to just deal with this. And finally, here's the way the Lord put it to me. He said, if somebody put a gun to your head today and cocked the trigger and said, choose right now. And if you don't choose properly, you're going to die. If it, if, you're, if it was a life and death decision, which it really was, because if I got drafted and sent to Vietnam, it could have been death. And if it's a life and death decision, and you've got to choose, which one would you make? Well, I didn't feel total peace in any direction. But if I had to choose under those circumstances, the one I felt the most peace about was quitting school. I felt zero peace about staying in school. I still had questions and some fears and things. But man, there is no question I felt most peace about moving in this direction and feeling like God told me to quit school and just take my chances and whatever came, let it come. And so based on nothing but that, this verse, just a month after 
God had touched my life. And I mean, I knew virtually nothing of the Word. Based on this, I said, you know what? I feel the most peace about quitting school and just beginning to follow God, do whatever He leads me to do. And I made that decision. And it was a major deal. You know, I look back on this. I was 18 years old. Everybody told me I was of the devil. There was no support from anywhere. I look back at this and I'm amazed at how I was able to make this decision. But it's because I was so in love with the Lord and so excited about God. I trusted Him so much that, you know what, I wasn't afraid of whatever the consequences would be. And I made that decision and went to bed. And then the next morning, here's another piece of information that will really help you. Because I wasn't confident 100% and I still had some reservations, rather than just get up and go down and quit school, you know, burn my bridges behind me, what I decided to do was to go test this decision by sharing with other people. And I went to the three people who had been the meanest to me. Out of all of the people, I'd been talking for about a month with different people. And I mean, people got on me and said, you are of the devil. I had, actually, I was, uh, had the um, music director of our Baptist church say, you can't be a Christian and say that God is telling you to quit school. Some of you have a hard time understanding that. But I went to a highbrow Baptist church. We were real close to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and every time we had somebody come fill the pulpit, it was one of the doctors from the cemetery. I mean, seminary. <laughs> and it was a highbrow church, and I mean, education, and it was, it was a proper church. And they just thought, you can't be a Christian and say that God, even if he was calling you into full-time ministry, you would have to go through cemetery first. And do all of these things. And so anyway, I had the youth director threaten to vote me out of the church. And he says, I'm going to bring you before the church and we're going to excommunicate you. We're going to take away your church membership. And you know what? I just told him, I said, look, buddy, you've only been here six months. I grew up in this church. I know every person in this church. I said, I dare you. Put it to a vote and you'll get voted out. I just probably wasn't the right way to respond, but... Anyway, he backed down. But I was threatened to be kicked out of the church. I had some bad things happen. So the next day, rather than just going to school and resigning, what I decided to do was go test out my newfound direction. And I went to the three people who had criticized me the most. And one of them was a uh, school teacher. My mother was a school teacher. And I knew all of the school teachers. And this lady, Miss Ellis, she was our choir director in high school. And she was a Christian lady She witnessed to us about the Lord and I looked up to her spiritually and I had told her that uh, I felt like I was going to quit school, that God was leading me to quit school. And she, as a friend of my mother, thought she was doing a service to my mother. She jumped on me like a chicken on a June bug and told me, that is of the devil and this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And she blasted me. And told me, how dare you do that? You honor your mother and you stay in school and you do these things. And I mean, she had been vicious to me. Mean. She's the first person I went and saw. And I went and visited her. And I walked in. And I said, Miss Alice, I said, I've made my decision. And she said, what is it? And I said, I'm quitting school. God told me to quit school. And I didn't explain it. I just said it. 
And I was bracing for her response. And she looked at me and started crying. She said, I'd give anything to be like you. I said, why? And she says, I'm, you know, I, I thought she was ancient at that time. She's probably 50, but I thought she was. Anyway, she was old. And she says, I'm, you know, so many years old and I don't know for sure that I've ever done what God wanted me to do. She says, what a blessing to know that God is leading your life. And she says, would you please pray for me? So I prayed for her and I left there about that high off the ground like, man, awesome. Then I went to two other people who had been really mean to me and it was a similar type of thing. I mean, once I made my decision and said, this is it. God led me to do this. The opposition, it's just like these people. I overwhelmed them with my confidence and security in the Lord. And they, everyone, asked me to pray for them. And did you know, after an hour or two, after I got up that morning, I have never, ever, ever in my life had a doubt, one, that God led me in that decision, that I made the right decision. And sure enough, I got drafted and I got sent to Vietnam And I lost the government income and I went through some tough times in Vietnam. And you know, but I never one time, never doubted that that was God leading me. And now that I look back on it, you know, at the time I didn't have this perception, but I look back on it. When I went to Vietnam, I was a Baptist. But when I was in Vietnam, I was a chaplain's assistant and I never had a chaplain that was a Christian. They were all drunks. They would get up on the stage with the girls that they brought in and try and have sex with them. One of them stripped and did stuff like that. And those are the chaplains I work for. And so I never went to their chapel services. And you know what I did? I just, I just stuck my nose in the Bible. And for 10 or 15 hours a day for 13 months, I studied the Word and I sought the Lord. And when I came out of Vietnam, I wasn't a Baptist anymore. I went back to my Baptist church and they said, man, we don't want you. I found out that my attitude had changed. My values had changed. My theology changed. And I looked back at it and it was wonderful. That was my Bible college. That was my Bush University. 13 months in Southeast Asia studying the word 15 hours a day. God changed my life. And I looked back and it was wonderful. I didn't know any of that when I did it. But you know what? It was really a good thing. And God used it in my life. I haven't regretted it a moment. And in retrospect, that is one of the greatest decisions with the worst possible consequences I've ever made in my life. I was 18 years old, one month old in seeking God. And I made one of the best decisions I ever made in my life by just letting the peace of God rule in my heart. And you know what? This is exactly what I'd recommend. If you are trying to follow God's will, this this not only applies to like your vocation for your whole life, but it's just in every little detail. Does He want you to get on that plane? Man, pray about it. And if you don't have any peace, don't do it. If you have peace, do it. You know, I basically just let the peace of God rule in my heart and I pray about things and whatever I have the most peace about is the way I decide to do things. The building that we're currently in, I'm, I was trying, I bought the building for $3.25 million, which was a huge step for us, but we did it, but we took out a loan to get that building, but then it was just an empty warehouse, 110,000 square feet. 
And we had to have $3.2 million to be able to renovate it and make a Bible school out of it and do the things that we did. And for nine months, I tried to get that construction loan. And when we bought the building, the same uh, lending place that told us that they would give us the money for the building told us that we would have the construction loan for $3.2 million. They said, it's a package deal. We wouldn't have given you the loan for the building if we weren't going to give you the construction loan. So they guaranteed it. For nine months, I waited and they said, next week you'll get it. Next week you'll get it. Nine months later, after we had been through meeting after meeting after meeting, and they said, next week, next week, next week, for nine months. And we were struggling. We needed to do something. They wouldn't give us the money. And finally, the banker says, why don't we just start the whole process over? Let's get a new... uh, um, appraisal and start the whole process over. And all I could see was another nine months of stuff. And I said, something is not right. And so I started praying and I spent the afternoon praying and I went walking. And anyway, it's a long story. I'll probably share this more as we go through this series. But I, the Lord spoke some things to me and said, I had a prophecy that was given to me about two years before. It says, you aren't going to need to take out a loan because you've already got a bank. And I thought, I do. Where is this bank? And the prophecy went on to say, it's your partners. Your partners are going to finance this. And I somehow or another had just disconnected and hadn't associated the two. And as I was praying about it, the Lord brought that prophecy back to me and he says, your partners are your bank. I don't want you to take out a loan. I'm going to pay for this thing. And you know, Again, I could spend an hour setting this up. Some of you, you know, when you're talking about $3.2 million, it doesn't relate to most people. And you just think big ministries and stuff and you have the money. But at the rate we had been saving money, I sat down and figured it up. At, at the rate we had been able to save money, for me to come up with $3.2 million could have been over 100 years of income. And for me to wait a hundred years, I didn't have that much time left in my age, much less the Bible school and ministry. And it was just undoable. If I committed myself to doing it without taking out a loan, then it could kill the ministry. If God didn't come through in some big time way. And if I made a decision that we were going to do it without taking it alone, then... I wouldn't renege on it. The scripture says that you have to, a godly man will swear to his own hurt and change not. And if I told people that I was going to do it debt free, well then I'd do it debt free if it took me a hundred years. And so it was another big decision. And you know what I did? Once I felt that and I thought about doing this and just letting my partners help me and pay for this thing debt free, I prayed about it for about a week or two. And basically, I let the peace of God rule in my heart. And you know, I had more peace about just trusting God. Now, I mean, it was a potential train wreck out here. It was like a cliff. It could have killed us. But that's what I had peace about. It made no sense. There was not any physical proof that we could raise $3.2 million in any reasonable amount of time. There was nobody, if you would have looked at our finances, you would have said there's no way. And yet, that's what I had peace about. And so we just decided to do it. And did you know, 14 months from that decision, we had $3.2 million. We had the building finished. We moved in debt-free. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. It went against logic. It was illogical. 
And yet it worked because that's what I had peace in my heart to do. And you know, every one of you have had this happen to you. You may not know it, but you have. I bet you every person in here at some time or another has had a crossroads, a decision that you have to make. And logic, people told you that you have to go this direction. But you don't feel peace about it. But it just seems like it's the logical way. Everybody is, everybody's counsel has led you in a certain direction. So you go with the counsel. And as soon as everything falls apart and it turns out not to be the right thing, I bet you every person in here at some time or another has said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. There was no reason. There was no logic. There was no facts. It was just a knowing. You just knew that you weren't supposed to do it and yet you did it because it looked like the right thing to do and yet you knew it in your heart. God speaks to us this way. This is how God leads you. If you are seeking Him, He puts His desires in your heart. And then as you consider, how do I accomplish this desire? You just look at your options and the one that you have peace about. You let the peace of God, notice the peace of God, not the peace of the world. You know, the Forgestons are over in India. And I bet you that they had some reservations about moving to a different culture, about how is this going to be financed. I'm not saying that they felt 100% peace. But you know what? They felt more peace about doing that than they did in just staying in some place secure. Judith felt more peace about leaving Switzerland and about the potential of losing a job and stuff. She felt more peace about following God's will and coming to school than she did just staying there. And so she let the peace of God rule in her heart. It led her to her husband. It led her to her ministry. It led her to a place where she said she's more fulfilled, happy than she's ever been. You know how all of that happened? By just seeking God and letting the peace of God rule in your heart. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we made this too hard. It's not difficult to have God lead you. You just love Him with your whole heart. You commit your life unto Him. And when you really delight in the Lord, He'll start putting His desires in your heart. And then as you start moving in that direction, He'll, he'll give you wisdom when you come to a fork in the road. Which way do I go? You just follow the peace that's in your heart. And it's, it's super simple. But you know what? You can't live this way if you are just constantly inundated with noise and static and junk from this world. And this is where most of us live. Most of you don't, and I'm not saying this to criticize. I'm just saying it based on dealing with people. Most Christians do not seek God and spend enough time in the presence of the Lord to really feel what's in your heart. You're being led by external things. You're letting life push you along. You're going with the crowd instead of being still and knowing that He's God. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you just got to be still to be able to hear your heart. You know, last year I woke up, I had a dream, and in the dream... I saw this big banner that said Psalms 46.10. And I have quoted that verse a thousand times, but for the life of me, I could not remember what Psalms 46.10 said. So I got up and I opened up my Bible and read it, and it says, Be still and know that I am God. And I read that and thought about it, and I mean, it was so vivid, this dream that I had. I didn't know exactly what being still is, but I decided that that day I was going to physically... Be still, just to see if that was part of it. 
And I went out and Jamie was in shopping or something and I was at our house and I went outside and sat in a chair and for an hour and a half, I never moved anything but my eyes. I sat exactly still. Just I wanted to see what would happen if I was still. And you know, it's amazing what I observed. When I got totally still, it took me a while, but I mean, after I was totally still, I got to noticing things that I wouldn't have ever noticed. There were thousands of ants everywhere. They're always there. But I never noticed them until I was still. I got so still that chipmunks came and sat on my foot. And I was sitting there and they were coming up and they were sitting on my foot. I had a deer walk by and I mean, I could have spit on that deer. That, I was so still, that deer didn't know I was there. And it sat and it just looked at me and I was looking at this deer eyeball to eyeball. And you know what? There was, you could hear the wind blowing through the trees. You could hear just different sounds and things. And things that were always there that I never notice because I'm busy and I'm always going somewhere or doing something. You know what? All of a sudden, I just realized things all around me that I didn't realize before. They were always there. But when you're still, you just become aware of things that are there that you don't notice normally. And spiritually speaking, you have to get to a place to where sometimes you're just still. It's where you don't have a tape on or the TV on or listening to music, or doing something. Sometimes you just need to be still. And instead of praying all of the time, I've got friends that when they pray, it's just like a machine gun. It's just and Man, they're just praying 90 to nothing, and they wonder why God never speaks to them. He couldn't get a word in edgewise. You know, you need to do like these two-way radios every once in a while and say, over, and give God a chance to speak. Sometimes you just need to sit and be still. And you know what? If you would be still, you would find out that things that are in your heart, the peace of God, all of a sudden you'd start hearing things. See, this is why lost people are people that aren't really seeking the Lord. This is why they hate being still. Because when they get still, this little homing device that God placed on the inside of every one of us starts going off and starts making you think about what's my life like? Man, is this all there is to life? And they don't want to be confronted with this and so they drown it out. They always have to have the TV on. They always have to have music on. They always have to do something. They can't be still and just allow their thoughts to start going because they'll lead you to God. Sometimes you just need to be still and find out where, where are you in your heart? Do you have peace about the way your life is going? Is the job that you're doing, is this what you really believe God wants you to do? Is this what you want to do the rest of your life? There's some of you that are so busy, you're on the treadmill and you're trying to keep up the pace that you haven't ever sat down and thought about, is this really what I want? Is this what God wants? There's some of you that it's been years since you've sat down and taken any inventory and looked at anything. You know, you need to sit down and look at your life and look at the options. Look at what your desires are and then say, Father, what do I really have peace about? Do I want to be like this 20 years from now? Five years from now? Is this where I want to be in my life? Is this what I'm wanting to do? And you need to sit down. And if you don't have peace about it, man, if it doesn't excite you, if it doesn't bless you, if it's not something that you think, yes, this is the way I want my life to go, then you ought to make some changes right now. 
you shouldn't wait another day. And just like I did, if you aren't absolutely sure, just start testing the waters. You know, if you take a boat and if you push it, then the rudder can steer that thing. But if it's sitting still, you can flip a rudder 360 degrees and it won't give any direction to that boat until you move. If you aren't sure of what God wants you to do, well then sit down, let the peace of God rule in your heart and just start taking small steps in some direction. And if you step out in some direction, then God can begin to bear witness. And all of a sudden, like with me, everything just begins to fall in line. And you think, man, this is God. And it encourages you and it encourages you to go a little faster. Or maybe you'll start in some direction and you say, whoops, that wasn't it. Everything goes wrong. And you say, this is not it. And sometimes the way you discern God's will is by finding out what he doesn't want you to do. You try a number of things and this wasn't it. Man, I used to do all kinds of things. Work in the children's ministry, work in youth ministry. It didn't take me long to figure out that's not it. (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes you discover God's will by you just start doing things and then you, you don't feel satisfied. This isn't giving you peace and so you don't go that direction. I know that this isn't deep and most people want something deep. But this is practical. This is something that could change your life. Every person in here could do what I'm talking about. And you could just sit down, be still, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And I believe that probably 50% or more of the people right here would find a major change in the direction of your life if you were just to do that. And just like the Forgestons were giving testimony, you wouldn't regret it. Man, you wouldn't regret it one minute you would be thrilled with the way God would lead your life. Isn't that good? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So how many of you are going to be still and let God bear witness and give you the... Amen. I hold you to it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you don't know Jesus, we've had 150-something people baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I think maybe 8 eight or 10-something that were back, uh, born again. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you must have the Prince of Peace before you have peace. This peace that's in your heart only comes after you experience a personal relationship with Jesus. And also, you need the Holy Spirit. I couldn't tell you how many people I've talked to this week that they've asked me a question and I said, I can't tell you that. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Holy Spirit will give you peace. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth and reveal things to you. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here who has not received one or both of those? Either you need to be born again and or you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Anybody here like that? Praise God. We still got people. We've had so many people receive, but you know what? There's still people here today that want to receive. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come down here and we want to pray with you and help you to receive this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Awesome. Just come right down here. Praise the Lord. You born again? Wonderful, wonderful. How about you? Are you born again? I've accepted Christ. That's awesome. 
you know what? You are a prime candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How about you? You born again? Yes, I born Awesome. How about you? You know you're born again. Awesome. How about you, brother? Amen. You born again? Good deal. How about you? You born again? Awesome. You born again? How about you? You're down here with her. How about you? Are you born again? You know, the Bible says that before you can receive the Holy Spirit, you have to be born again. So that's the reason I'm asking every person. Because you can't receive the Holy Spirit until you receive Jesus first. Are all of you born again? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. There's so many people today that think, well, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? No. You got to be born again. Amen. So everybody down here has already been born again. Then according to the scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's what He created you for. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to beg Him. You don't have to plead. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to ask and receive. One time. And I've got our prayer ministers. I'd like to invite them to come up here and lay hands on you. Because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given. So these people are going to stand here and they're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to ask and then they're going to lay hands on you and release the power of the Holy Spirit into you. And it's going to be this simple. And whether you feel anything or not, whether you feel anything, the Holy Spirit's going to come into your life. It says in Luke eleven thirteen, it says, If you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? All you got to do is ask. And He's going to give. So we're just going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to take a step of faith and begin to start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Quit asking. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, and then I want you to start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, I want you to lift your hands like this, because when the Bible says when you lift your hands, this blesses God. So we're going to lift our hands and bless God and start thanking Him that you have the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 17, that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God in our prayer language. And as we start praying in tongues, you pray in tongues with us. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't know how to pray in tongues. How do you do this? The Holy Spirit's not going to come on you and force you. You know, this is really crude, but Jamie doesn't much care for me to use this example. But I thought that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be like when you throw up, that you couldn't stop it. You put your hand over your mouth or whatever, and it's just going to blurt out. It's not like that. It's you speaking. It says in Acts 2, 4 that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you, but you talk and by faith believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is the number one thing that hinders people. They're just opening their mouth and waiting on God to make them talk. It's not going to happen that way. You pray... You believe that you receive and then you have to by faith start speaking and believe that God inspires it. And after you do it, he'll prove to you that it's not just you. It's you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it's a powerful gift and it'll change your life. It's really, really important. But that's what we're going to do. Everybody ready? 
And if you are ready, you can speak in tongues right now. If you have any trouble, I've got a book that I'll give you. And this book will explain a lot of things. It helped me to speak in tongues. I'm, I mean, not my book. I hadn't written it yet. But the truths in that book are what set me free. And I promise you, it'll help you. Amen. So y'all ready? I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. There you go. I like the way you emphasize. I will speak in tongues. Father, we thank you for all of these. Thank you that they are born again, that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for that great salvation. And so now we are your temple. We open up the doors of our temple and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our lives. We welcome you to come fill us with yourself, to give us this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want your power working in us. And so we open up our life and invite you in. Take control of our life. Fill us with the life and the power of God. We lay hands on you now and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power and anointing to flow into your body right now. Praise the Lord. Man, that is the anointing power of God. Don't shake your head no. Shake it yes. Amen. Father, we thank you and we receive. We thank you. Now let's put those hands up and begin to praise God. Praise God and thank him. Thank you, Father, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your power coming into my life. Thank you that from this time forth, I'm God-possessed. Thank you that your power is flowing in my life. Father, we just loose this anointing and power. Praise God. There's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. And let's loose this power. Begin to praise God and thank Him by speaking in tongues. And Father, we loose this power and anointing to flow into every one of these right now. In Jesus' name, Father. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, you just can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth and talk. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. So quit thanking him in English and thank him in tongues. Don't worry what it sounds like. When you are speaking in tongues, the Bible says you aren't speaking to men. You aren't speaking to yourself. You're speaking to God. God understands. You're bypassing the doubt and the unbelief of your mind. And you're going straight from your spirit to God. Man, you're praying without any unbelief, without any of the hang-ups that you typically have. Thank you, Jesus. It may not sound like much to you, but you know, it grows and develops as you get where you aren't worried about what it sounds like. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jeremiah, you need to talk. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. Talk. Hallelujah. Boy, most of these are speaking in tongues. I'd recognize the Holy Ghost anywhere. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. We want to make sure that you get the maximum benefit of this. And really, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues is one of the most supernatural, powerful things that you can experience. You may not have felt anything right now, but I tell you, it's got power. This will change your life. When you speak in tongues, it does something. It's just like flipping a switch, turning a motor on. It starts the supernatural power of God in your life. But you have to understand what's happening to get the full benefit of it. So I've written a book, and this book will explain scripturally what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It'll talk about uh, hindrances to speaking in tongues. If any of you had trouble speaking in tongues, it'll help you to speak in tongues. And plus, you'll gain understanding, and you'll be able to go out and use this, and it'll make a big difference in your life. So I'd like to ask you to follow Ashley right here. He's got his Bible up, and he, we've got a room right across the hall with books. We want to give every person a book and just help you to get the maximum benefit out of this. Amen. So if you'd follow Ashley, he'll give you the book. They'll pray with you and they'll help you any way they can. Praise the Lord. Amen. I believe y'all are going to be stronger than horseradish. Praise the Lord. Praise God. God bless y'all. Don't forget that we have our Bible college meeting immediately over here in the, what is it, the Tennessee and the Florida room or something like that. And we're going to have students in there giving testimonies and talking about it. And uh, you know what? If you have a desire to go to Bible school and if you feel peace about it, you ought to go check this out. Amen. And I believe God could do a miracle in your life. These are our prayer ministers. They're going to be here to pray with you. And if there's anybody here that needs prayer for anything, come forward. You heard these testimonies today about the people that have been healed. Praise God. The Lord can manifest that healing in your life. And so if you need prayer, come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. We've got these people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards a prayer minister. Please follow their directions. It'll help us to pray for you. The rest of you, don't forget that we have CDs and DVDs of the four services that we've already had already duplicated. They're available. Tonight we'll be back at 6 o'clock. My crew, we got about 20 people that tear down all of this and pack up and it allows them to go to bed at 1 o'clock instead of 2 o'clock if we start at 6. So we're starting at 6 tonight instead of 7 o'clock. So don't be late. Come back. If you need to be, you are dismissed. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to stay around and pray with these people. If you want to stay and pray with us, you're welcome to stay. But you're free to go if you need to go. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree with all of these. And we thank you, Father, that you have already healed through the stripes of Jesus. We've been healed of all of our diseases already. And thank you that you put that power on the inside of us. You gave us the Holy Spirit. You gave us authority over all sickness, over all disease. The ability to cast out demons. You said that death and life are in the power of our tongue. And Father, we use that authority and power now. We speak death to sickness. 
and disease and command it to leave people now in Jesus' name. Father, we loose your ability. We release life with our words. Thank you, Jesus. I believe there's somebody watching by internet that God is touching your body right now. Whatever it is that you need, there's the healing power of Jesus flowing into you and you are being healed right this moment. You may be watching this weeks or months later, but here is the power of God flowing towards you. And Father, we release this anointing and believe that healing is coming to people in their very homes. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. We receive a miracle for every one of these. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive your anointing flowing towards people right now in Jesus' name. Somebody here has had a problem with your lips. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but maybe fever, blisters, or something. The Lord just spoke to me. Somebody here has got a problem with your lips. Who's this? Stand up. Raise your hand if this is you so I can see who I'm praying for. Here's a couple over here. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Here's a number of them over here. Father, we all agree, and we thank you right now. We release your anointing. To flow towards these people's lips. And whatever this is, if there is an infection or a viral thing or whatever it is that causes problems with their lips, I just rebuke that, command it out of their body. Satan, you loose them and let them go. And Father, I loose your anointing to heal, that their lips will be healed, and that this not only will deal with the problems they have right now, but that it won't come back. Thank you that this is over, that they're healed in Jesus' name. From this moment forth, their body recovers. And Father, we thank you. We agree and receive it in Jesus' name. You agree? Amen. You know, I learned about 30-something years ago not to look at things as big things and little things. I remember I was in a meeting and I called out somebody had bags under their eyes and that they were going to be healed. And when I called it out, I thought, man, God, that seems insignificant. You know, this doesn't seem important. Later, I had a woman come up and she was driving to the service and she says, God, everything in my life is so good. I don't really need anything, but I need to know that you love me. And she felt like she was called into the ministry, but she wasn't sure. And she says, would you just have that man call out the bags under my eyes? And if you have him call that out, I'll know that you love me and I'm going to submit to the ministry. I call that out. That woman got healed. She's been in the ministry for 30 something years because of me calling that out. Amen. And so, you know what? It's, there's nothing that's unimportant. You need to be obedient. See, if you have a peace about something, if God's leading you, you need to speak it out. And who knows how God can use that? Amen. Praise God. Father, we agree and we receive this. Somebody here has been having stomach problems. I mean, you got uh, serious problems here in your stomach, bloating, pains, and things like that. Who's this? Here's, here's a couple of people over here. Anybody else? Here's another one. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I release your anointing right now and whatever's wrong with their stomachs. Father, we loose the anointing. Stomachs, you be healed now. I command any pain or bloating or inability to process food. Whatever's wrong, I lease the anointing of Jesus to flow through their bodies and to bring healing to these stomachs now in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we believe it's done right now. We refuse to allow our bodies to continue being sick in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Did any of you have pain or discomfort or anything that you could tell if it was gone? They aren't even listening to me. Praise the Lord. Anybody over here have pain or anything? Man, he's still praying. So I guess they must have received. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we just praise you. You know, here's deafness. Here's deafness being healed right now. You may not be totally deaf or you would have to have somebody sign to you, but if you've got a partial deafness, any hearing problems or ringing in the ear or something like that, I want you to stand, raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, lots of people with hearing problems. Father, we loose your anointing right now. We command you spirit of deafness to loose these people and let them go now in Jesus' name. Get off of their bodies. I command ringing in the ears to leave now. Noise, in the abnormal noise to leave now. Somebody's got a deteriorated eardrum. You've had this diagnosed and for, you've had an infection or something. It's, it's deteriorated your eardrum and that's the reason you have problems. Here's a supernatural miracle. God's recreating your eardrum right now. Here's a burning that's going through your ear and here's the anointing of God healing your ears. Father, I thank you that deafness is gone. Now healing has come. We thank you that volume has come back, that the full range of notes has come back unto them. Father, thank you that your anointing is flowing in their bodies and from this time forth they hear. Hear good in Jesus' name. Father, we agree and we receive. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Is there anybody can already tell a difference in your ear? I believe all of you have been healed, but is there anybody can already tell a difference right here? Isn't that great? Were you totally deaf, partially deaf? Ringing, and the ringing's gone for months, and it's gone. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Who else can tell a difference in your ears already? Anybody else already tell a difference? Back here at the back in the yellow blouse, can you tell a difference? You're hearing better? Amen. Awesome. Anybody else? You know, there was a lot of you that raised your hand. God didn't just touch a couple. It is true that the healing can happen gradually, but you can just, you can make it speed up too. You can say, that's mine. I've got it. You start speaking to yourself, commanding those ears to hear and praise God. I believe you're going to hear good. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these healings now. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has been struck. Well, there's probably more than one person here that's been struggling with high blood pressure. And it's not just a minor thing. It's a big deal with you. And you really, it, it's a problem in your life. You have trouble regulating. If that's you, I want you to stand up, raise your hand. 
We're going to pray for you. Those of you who have been struggling with high blood pressure, here's the healing power of Jesus right now flowing towards you. Praise the Lord. Father, we release your anointing. And whatever it is that causes this high blood pressure, we command it to be healed now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that your life is flowing through their veins. And whatever it is that's caused this blood pressure to be high, we thank you. It's taken care of from this time forth. We speak that we are healed in Jesus' name. Over. Done with. We agree and we receive this miracle in the name of Jesus. Amen. You agree? Amen. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Brother, I believe you're healed. You know, the Lord just spoke to me. You got a lot of things. It seems like you just have a bunch of things hitting you and it's, it's hard for you to get around. I believe God is healing you of everything. You're going to leave here a young man. Can you receive that? I believe everything from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet is healed. All of those stuff healed in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Father, we agree. Lord's just speaking to me that there's some people that have chronic sickness. It seems like you just have something all of the time. It may not be the same thing, but you're just always sick. You've always got something wrong with you. In the Bible, there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity. Not just one thing. It just was a spirit that just gave her an infirmity all of the time. Somebody here has got that. You're just sick all of the time. Something's always wrong with you. Right here is a man. Anybody else? This lady back here. Anybody else? You may have been like that, brother, but you're over it. Here's another one right here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Here's another one. Father, we agree, and in the name of Jesus, we rebuke the spirit of infirmity. Satan, we command you to loose them and to let them go now in Jesus' name. All of these little things, we just refuse this spirit of infirmity to afflict them anymore. Be gone now in the name of Jesus. And Father, we loose your anointing to flow through their bodies and to take care of those things that have been wrong. And we believe that they aren't having this come back, that it's over. We are healthy in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. You agree? Now, you need to take your authority and use your words to counter this and start speaking that you're healthy and whole and not submit yourself to sickness anymore. Words are powerful. Amen. If somebody comes up and asks how you are, don't go to telling them about every feeling and every problem and pain. Use your words to speak life. Tell people I'm healed. Amen. I'm healthy. Be aggressive. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And there's some powerful things happening down here. We got some awesome prayer ministers that are ministering in the power of the Holy Ghost. People's lives are being changed. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
You know, I'm going to let you go. Praise God. Remember that tonight's going to be the last service that we have in this week. We are going to be tomorrow morning at Solid Rock of Atlanta. It's right up, I think, exit 94 off of uh, I-85, just a little bit south of Spaghetti Junction. And if you can come up there, we're going to have two services tomorrow morning with Van and Regina Smith. You'll love them. They're awesome, awesome people. Praise God. So come back tonight, 6 o'clock. Tomorrow we'll be at Solid Rock of Atlanta. God bless you.